How come life is the way it is? Why is that? Why is the way it is at work? Why is it that way sometimes? And, of course, we know the answer is because we happen to be in Genesis 3, which deals with the curse and that God placed the curse upon. Life is hard. God is good. Life is hard because God made it that way. Not originally, but because of sin, uh, He did have to put uh, a curse on. There is wonder. There is beauty. Uh, we are amazed and awed at uh, nature, and we enjoy this world. We, uh, we have joy. We have love. We have happiness. And in the meantime, we also have uh, sorrow and uh, difficulty. Uh, when we do have that uh, thing that just seems to be going really good and smooth and everything, it's not easy to hold on to. Have you noticed that? It doesn't last forever. Just when things are going smoothly, guess what happens after that? Anyway, I think there are are many things to enjoy. Um, We have plenty of uh, pleasure here. We were created for enjoyment. Uh, We have beauties uh, to, to enjoy, but there's a great cost. Um, we have to work our whole life to produce things, and um, we have to um, to do that. God provides the material things for it, but yet we have to work hard. So we still ask the question, so what's wrong with the world? What's wrong with the things at home, then, we, we would ask. Why is a home such a battleground? Uh, look at the statistics today. You know What's happening? They can't even have peace at home because that's where the curse fell. And uh, we noticed that as we looked at it last week, the woman in the home feels the impact of what that sin did. Uh, As we looked in Genesis 3, it affected the relationship between the woman or the mother and her children. And it's also affecting the relationship between the wife and the husband. And because of this curse, relationships are affected. And uh, so when we looked at it last week, we came to the conclusion, whenever it says, I will greatly multiply your pain in childbirth, in pain you will bring forth children, it's not just bringing forth um, uh, and having difficulties in pregnancy and bringing forth children uh, and babies uh, at, at birth, but it goes on beyond that to the point where they even become adults and their adult children, but it it extends not only those kind of relationships, but inside the home, outside the home, even at work, uh, with the the husband and the wives. Every aspect of our lives, pain comes. And women have uh, experienced much pain uh, all throughout history in delivering babies. The percentage of them at one time um, where you, you would hear of a lady maybe having 15 pregnancies and maybe half of those where the, the, the baby didn't make it, didn't make it to birth. Uh, that was not unusual at all. It might even be bigger than that in, in, in some situations or some of them never made it to adulthood. Um, there have been cases, I think, I'm just taking this off the top of my head, but I think it was John Owen who had 11 children and I don't think any of them, maybe one made it to adulthood and then she died early in her 20s or something. That, that's a lot of pain there, isn't it? That's the kind of thing we looked at last week. I'm amazing you guys, I'm amazed that you guys would come back and uh, as we talk about the curse and talk about negative things. <laughs> it's almost like a downer as we close this um, Alpha and Omega session uh, up. 
And as we talk about sin, well, we happen to be in Genesis 3, and so that's our topic. Uh, You can say, oh, joy. (laughs) Let's talk about something upbeat. Hopefully by the time we get to the end of this tonight, which we only have about 40 minutes left, that will bring a a little joy to it. But um, all of this is to help the woman and the man to see what sin does and see what the curse did. And what it does, it makes everyone long for a better life. Everybody wants things to be perfect. And when it's not perfect, people get upset. There are perfectionists, and some are worse than others, but we always want it a little bit better. That's why there's a, something that was put into us that strives for glory. And we as Christians, we know that that will come to a culmination. That's good to know. Uh, But people are always longing for a better situation. They always want something a little bit better, better circumstances, to long for deliverance out of this, this mess we're in. Anyway, with all that said, let's pray. Father, we thank You. Thank You so much for uh, the time that uh, we have uh, to gather together. Be able to look at Your Word. It's, it's Your Word. Your precious Word. And as we have all these people that we have been able to uh, meet through this store and, and to be able to have a, um, a unity together as uh, the body of Christ that uh, gets to come together to, to praise You, to worship You through the Word of God, uh, we, we thank You that You have given this to us. And uh, as we close out here, we would pray that we'd be able to continue uh, meeting. It's a special time, as it is any time that uh, people get together to, to know You. And so we thank You for that, uh, that privilege. And uh, we uh, give You all the glory. And we also pray for Gary tonight as he uh, takes the uh, the shelves and uh, the bookcases which are stacked high on the truck and the trailer and all the guys who help put that on there uh, that he would make it there safely and be able to take it uh, to that church and uh, pray that it can be of uh, good use to them. Thank you, Lord, for this time. And uh, may we honor you tonight. And uh, thank you for all these years that we've had. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, we looked at the uh, the woman's judgment uh, a little bit last week, and uh, we see that she had, a, uh, as far as a relationship is concerned, it's uh, there's a lot of pain involved uh, with raising the children, and 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 then seeing all the things that they go through, and the illnesses, sicknesses, uh, even deaths, and and such, and the little kids that uh, go hungry and can never be fed. Now we get into um, another situation here in verse 16. To the woman, he said, I will greatly multiply your pain in childbirth. In pain you'll bring forth children. And here's another relationship. Yet your desire will be for your husband, and he will rule over you. Now, this uh, this probably has been taken in a lot of different ways. Some would take this, you're going to have a desire for your husband. Uh, but it might mean something a little bit even more than that. We'll, we'll take a look at it. and There's different writings on this, different thought patterns, but we'll try to see if we can kind of get a little closer to it maybe. Men don't understand women. Is that, is that pretty true? Men, men have a hard time understanding women. Um, through 
history, history, all throughout mankind's history, that has been true. And uh, men have used women. They have abused women. And they've been very unkind to women, very unfaithful to them, very indifferent. And sometimes they may show a little bit of love, but uh, it may be for their own selfish desires. They really don't have uh, the compassion that they should have, little sympathy. Um, They really don't always act the way that they should. And um, I say they, I guess that includes me right in there with that. But men need to learn compassion, tenderness, kindness, sympathy, all those different kind of virtues that are very valuable in a relationship. And um, uh, men and women alike don't understand the relationship that that they have. What is the woman's desire here? Um, Yet your desire will be for your husband. Um, Whatever she wishes, whatever she desires is going to be subject to his will. She won't always get what she wants. She will try. And it seems like sometimes the husband seems like he's saying to her, you always get what you want. Uh, But her desire is for her husband. What's going on here? Um, The husband doesn't have a perfect love for her. And it's not like, oh, he is just so perfect all the time. 24 hours a day, I have such a desire to be with him always, constantly. That doesn't. That's fairy tale, isn't it? Fairy tale, because the man isn't perfect and she's not either. Uh, do you think it's sexual desire that it means there? Some people take it as that way. Uh, I wouldn't totally rule it out, but yet your desire will be for your husband. If you back up in chapter one, verse twenty-eight, it says God blessed them, and God said to them, "Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the earth, and subdue it, and rule over the fish." Anyway. Be fruitful and multiply. Okay, it's already said here, and God has has made it a way for them to have that kind of desire. That's already put there. So here, God is saying uh, desire, but I'm not so sure it's that kind of being fruitful and multiplying, even though it can be. It's usually the other way around more than that, uh, or at least even more so. Others say, well, it's it's such a dependence upon the man that um, she wants to submit. She really wants to, she desires her husband so much, she is so willing to submit. It's just a natural thing. From here on out, that's the way it's going to be. Uh, Historically, I don't think we really see that. If you ask women today, most, uh, unless they know the biblical terminology and the idea of what real submission is, they don't like that idea, right? And that's not a natural thing. Um, another one, uh, some people say, well, it means she wants to be totally subservient to her husband. Is that kind of fairy tale too? John would like his wife to be that way. I know, no. <laughs> so you're shaking your head. I picked on you there, John. <laughs> it doesn't work, right? <laughs> so I don't know. I don't know about that commentary there. But, uh, you know, some say that. Um, well... Uh, there's an Arabic uh, root meaning here, and it means to seek control. Hmm. You shall seek control over your husband. You will desire to exert your will. 
over your husband. Is that right? Desire? You want to seek control? What do we have here? Well, that's kind of the meaning of, of this term. You're, you're going to try to take charge. Uh, it also means to try to be in control, to be the master over it. Your desire shall be that you control. You have a desire to be over your husband rather than just, oh, you just can't wait to be subservient and your husband, you're always drawing to your husband. Uh, Turn over to Genesis chapter 4, verse 7, and I think this might help us. Did you see that there, Bob? Here you have Cain. And God is speaking to him. It says in verse 6, The Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry? Why is your countenance fallen? If you do well, will not your countenance be lifted up? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door and its desire, same Hebrew word, its desire is for you, but you must master it. Sin is going to try to control you, going to try to master you, and you must master it. We're just a few verses. We're in chapter 3 here, at the end of chapter 3, and you go into 4, and you see this word, and I think it only uh, is used twice in the Hebrew, and it's used in the same as in a same context here, and usually the rule of thumb, when you see that word, and they're close together, and in the book of Genesis, you don't have chapters and verses. You see the same word, and it's not used again like that. In that sense, uh, there's something there. Definitely, we know that sin is trying to control. You, you know, here, here's the deal. If you don't do well, sin is right there, and it's going to control you. The woman wants to control the man. The man is the is is the head, which he has been already established to be that way, but in a perfect way, a love and a submission, the way that the Trinity works, and there's nothing wrong with that. That's perfectly biblical. It's perfectly godlike. The the Trinity is is um, that kind of thing. You have a, a, an authority and submission, and in a perfect way, without sin. God established that way already. Only thing is, the man followed the lead of the woman, and we see where that got us today. Um, so, and some of them, you know, it's. Uh, I think what you have here is a battle for the the sexes, the battle of the sexes. It's rebellion. The man, here's the woman. The woman tries to rise up, and she tries to take the leadership over it. And the man knocks her back down, up and forth, back and forth. And down throughout history, you'll see that. The woman has had times of where she wanted to get into women's lib, right? Women's liberation, where they control. And so we're in a society where now women are have taken a control in, in, in a lot of senses, in a, in, a, in a way that may not be exactly right in a, in a lot of ways. Um, but you have feminist movements. Uh, there was a time when women were shaving their heads, going bare-breasted, taking these sticks and, and going after pigs and that kind of thing in the Roman Empire. I kid you not. That's the kind of things that were happening and, and in their freedom uh, that they had. There they are. There were those spears. You might have seen pictures. might have seen movies like that. But, 
there's always been a kind of movement in history that's reflective of this curse. So when you see that yet your desire will be for your husband and he will rule over you, the man gets right back up. Boom, the women come up there and try to take over again. And that's reflective. This is all a part of the curse. He's already appointed the man to be in that sense. But in this thing, we're talking about ruling, uh, having total dominion, tyranny. That's the kind of thing the husband or the man is going to rule over her. Uh, Instead of that partnership that God had in mind, that perfect partnership, that's gone. That is left because sin, sin affected everything, remember? And here's the curse. The man is going to be here, but being sinful, what's he going to do? He's going to take advantage of his situation and put the woman down. Well, women don't like that. Nobody should like it, so they're going to rise up. And the men put them back down, back and forth. Uh, Look at chapter 2, verse 18, and you'll see that uh, there was a headship of the husband. In verse 18, the Lord said, It is not good for the man to be alone. I will make him a helper suitable for him. She's going to be a helper. She's going to compliment. She's going to help him. And, of course, he's going to be in a, in a perfect, sinless way. And the, what a partnership God has established. What a great way. Without sin, beautiful. Verse 22, The Lord God fashioned into a woman the rib which he had taken from the man and brought her to the man. So, and, and then it says, The man said, This is now bone of my bones, flesh of my flesh. She should be called woman because she was taken out of man. So the man first, she was taken out of the uh, the man. Uh, So there's going to be a struggle, there's going to be a tyranny, there's going to be a domination. The ruling partnership is, is now gone. That word rule, it means to dominate, to reign over, to mean to be installed into office and just reigning and ruling over. And throughout history, you'll see where men have done that. I don't know if they're doing it so much today, but I, uh, you see uh, the abuse and all the different things, and, and I can see why women would want out of those situations. And even in the church where men see Ephesians 5, what do they think of? Oh, I have the, I'm the head, and I'm going, to take, you know, I'm going to take control here, and they're going to do what I say. That's not the kind of attitude that God had in mind, was it? Um, and we'll look at Ephesians in a moment. But there's going to be an overthrowing of the rank. And the woman's going to seek to twist the very divine order that she's had. The woman seeks to master her husband. She seeks to control. She seeks to dominate. The woman tends towards rebellion. Well, the man does too. The man leads towards despotism. He wants to get it back the way that he thinks he ought to. And so the battle of the sexes is going on. It's right there. It's right there in Genesis 3. There's going to be conflict in marriage. That's what God is saying. It's going to be conflict. I permit not a woman to teach. Usurp authority. That's found in Timothy. God had an order in the way He established in the church. Look at it in the church today. In mainline denominations now, in, in my lifetime, and many of yours, you've seen where now women are pastors in churches and accepted for that. But when you look in the New Testament, you look in the pastoral letters, Timothy and Titus, 
room is never given and never was throughout history. For 1,900 years, they never had leadership in a church. And within our lifetime, you see how the world has made an impact on the liberal church and even um, churches worldwide that are not necessarily liberal, but if they, if they would go by the Word of God, they would do what, uh, what it states there. So you can see, as, as you, you look at experience, you look at history, then you look at the, the curse that God puts forth here, um, multiplying the pain in childbirth. You're going to bring forth children. It's, this is going to be hard. It's going to be a tough life. And by the way, the, the, the relationship with your husband is not going to be the way that it was back in Eden before sin. That's the thought. Um, your desire be, shall be for your husband. He shall rule over you. He will try to dominate over you. Sin's desire is for you, but you must master it as it's stated in, in uh, chapter 4. Only before God is she going to be considered equal. And when you become a Christian, and then you start finding out the truth of the Scripture, you find out that there is equality. There's neither male nor female. They're both equal. They just have different roles to do. One is not better than the other, but I tend to think uh, in a sinful world they're going to upset one of the most basic institutions that we have, the family. And boy, we can look at it in the time that we live in and uh, you can just look at the statistics if you want to. It's incredibly bad, isn't it? Even in the church. God had an originally divine plan of subordination by the woman, the man ruling with his love, and having a, a man is to be the, the head in, in the sense that he absolutely has a godly kind of love for her. And everything was changed. That's what the, the fall did. What's going on in the world? Look what the fall did. Look what it did. Uh, instead of that mild and tender love that was in Eden, the husband now is going to domineer. He's going to, any time that she becomes rebellious to him, he's going to become a despot. That's the thought. He's going to rule. E.J. Young, commentary said, in many parts of the world, the role of the woman has been reduced to that of virtual slavery. And, uh, down through history, that's the case that it's been. In general, women uh, have been slaves of men throughout history. Men don't have any interest in their feelings, their emotions, their sufferings, and uh, they use women for sexual fulfillment. That is that about right? That's you know we've heard that so much. Uh, all over the world, women have been subjugated, they've been humiliated. Even in modern times, men actually uh, hold this power of life and death over women, yeah. and so some still do in tribal regions. That's just part of the curse. That's uh, anyway. That's the that's the thought there. That might be a little bit different than you than you thought before, uh, but with that word desire and with that word for husband ruling, it's uh, kind of interesting as it goes along with the curse in itself. It's not saying here, hey, the the, the relationship between Adam and Eve now is going to be just perfect. It was before. He's saying it's not going to be perfect anymore. You're going to have troubles in your marriage. You're going to have troubles with your kids. You're going to have troubles having kids. You're going to have trouble keeping them alive, feeding them. I looked at it a little bit and saw, as far as the food supply is concerned, down through history, 
people have just eked out a living, enough to buy food. Just enough to get enough food to eat has been the general run, and you'd have a little bit left over maybe of some other things. Well, today, I understand in America, 6% of our income can be spent on food, and we have 94% left on anything else that we want. It would be housing and fuel for the car, and add that up, all of a sudden we get into economics here, right? But we have a lot of money left over after we buy our food, don't we? We don't know how good we have it. But uh, there's a curse. So as we go into the next section, as we see that the ground is going to be cursed, uh, we have maybe a little bit of trouble understanding that in the modern times that we live in with all the the weed poisonings that we have and such, and that we don't have to really battle with those weeds. We can just pour stuff out there in the driveway. I have usually trouble weeds in the garden and in the driveway and pour stuff out. Then the weeds come back up in a month later. <laughs> okay, what what does he say here in verse 17? Okay, he's covered talking to the serpent. Now, and then we got a great promise in verse 15, you know, the proto-evangelium. And now he speaks to the woman, and now it's the man. To, the, to Adam, he said, because... You have listened to the voice of your wife. Because you have listened to the voice of your wife. And have eaten from the tree about which I commanded you, saying, You shall not eat from it. Cursed is the ground because of you. He continues with this curse. In toil you will eat of it all the days of your life. Both thorns and thistles it shall grow for you, and you'll eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you will eat bread till you return to the ground, because from it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. This is negative stuff. This verse uh, 16 and 17 and 18 and 19, it's really negative. So how you guys... What you Christians do is talk about negative things. Let's have positive thoughts here. We're in Genesis 3. <laughs> Sin has happened. We have to look at it uh, at the truth here. The ground is cursed. Man uh, has a judgment. What's the cause? What's the cause? Because you listen to the voice of your wife. Well, nothing wrong with listening to the wife, but we already know what he listened about. He already knew what was right and knew what was wrong, as she did. She was deceived, but he knew full well that he was not to do that. It was disobedience. He he bought into her desire. And you already have it. You already have that right there. He believed that it was important to her, and so he thought, well, maybe this would bring about some benefit to him. Let's check this out too. But God said that what she said was more important than who? Than God. Why is God so harsh? That's you know, it's just a piece of fruit. You know, why? You know, why does God let people die? You know, there's a curse right here all the way to death. And to dust you shall return. Well, that really isn't the question. Well, people say, why does he allow disease? Why does He allow for little babies to die? Why does He allow for as soon as they're born, or they're stillborn? Why does God do that? still not the question, is it? The question is, is 
Why does he let any sinner live? That's all of us. You know, because of this, our nature. Why? We deserve to die. And that's what sin does. It it kills. Why does uh, God... Why does He sometimes stop the bad things from happening? Why does He even do that? Bad things could continually be happening. Why does He give us grace? That's a pretty good question. But people would rather take this fist up to God and say, I don't believe in you anymore. And they can cuss at Him and all all that they want to do because they're not getting the way that they want, just like little babies. And so therefore, uh, they ask those questions. I don't believe in God because He, you know, He killed my mother and father. Now, that's pretty serious. Or He killed my brother. He took my wife. He took my husband. You know, we, we can keep doing that, but bad things happen to people because people are bad. That's the thing. You, you've heard that title of the book by uh, uh, Harold Kushner. That why do bad things happen to good people? And he gave a solution. He's a Jewish person without Jesus Christ. And what was his solution? Well, God can't control everything. There's going to be bad things happen and to, to good people. Well, uh, first of all, there's no good people. There's no such thing as good people. <laughs> uh, he should have known that. That's in Genesis 3. It's right there. Um, we're worthy of death. That's, that's the thing. And it's right here. We're worthy of death. Uh, the mercy, the grace of God. Uh, I think of Romans chapter 2, verse 1. God is so overly good. How can we even ask that question? Why would God allow that to happen? If He's a good God, why would He do that? It says in Romans 2, verse 1, Therefore you have no excuse, every one of you who passes judgment, for in that which you judge another, you condemn yourself. For you who judge practice the same things. And we know that the judgment of God rightly falls upon those who practice such things. That's everybody. But do you suppose this, oh man, do you like that? Oh man. When you pass judgment on those who practice such things and do the same yourself, that you will escape the judgment of God? Or do you think lightly, look at, it, look at this, of the riches of His kindness and tolerance and patience, not knowing that the kindness of God leads you to what? Repentance. It was the kindness of God that led every one of us to repent. It was uh, it was granted. Repentance was even granted to us. The kindness drove us to repent or repentance. And of course, He granted the faith to us. That's the kind of good God we're talking about. He's not a bad God. He's good in every way. Very gracious. Uh, we have reminders to us every day of Genesis 3 all day long. When we took all of those <laughs> things out there, those things are pretty heavy after a while, you know what? And you're lifting them, trying to figure out how this... It, you know, it, In a way, hey, it, it's a good thing. It was a kind of a community thing. I, I really like that. You know, the church getting together and helping out, that's great. And then helping out another church and helping somebody else out here. That's the way church works. It's beautiful. It's a great illustration. But it was hard. It was hard work. Yeah, Kim. 
Um, I'm not trying to say God isn't good, but I'm just curious. Um, what what would be like our re- answer, or if, if there is one, on why He um, wouldn't give that opportunity to everyone, as opposed to the elect? Because that's what He wants to do. Uh, I won't take too much, too long. Uh, if you turn to uh, Romans chapter nine. Good question. Thing is, we know that we're all to be taking the, the gospel to everybody. So there's a general call that God has, but also there's a specific call. But in um, in Romans nine, um, verse nineteen or verse eighteen, Pharaoh, Moses, you know, and he he gave mercy. To the Israelites, Moses, and he also hardened Pharaoh, and it, it's a literal act of hardening. There's a part where Pharaoh hardens his heart, but there's a part where you see throughout Exodus also where God hardens his heart. So then he has mercy on whom he desires, and he hardens whom he desires. You will still say to me, then, why does he still find fault? For who resists his will? On the contrary, who are you? Here we go. Remember Romans? O man, who answers back to God. The thing molded will not say to this molder, Why did you make me like this, will it? Or does not the potter have a right over the clay to make from the same lump one vessel for honorable use and another for common use? What if God, although willing to demonstrate His wrath and to make His power known, endured with much patience vessels of wrath prepared for destruction. And he did so to make known the riches of his glory upon vessels of mercy, which he prepared beforehand for glory, even us, whom he also called, not from among Jews only, but also from among Gentiles. There is the reason why. God does it because that is his own good pleasure. In Ephesians 1, he elects us. He predestines us. He chooses us. He calls us. It's out of the pleasure of His goodwill that He would do that. Here's the thing. We're all, the way that Spurgeon said it, we're all like on a train going right to hell. And it's His desire that He picks out who He wants. You know, that's coming from a human standpoint, but you can see that little illustration. See, the thing is, nobody's good. They all should go to hell. They all should burn in hell forever. Every one of us. Why? The question is, why would He choose me? I don't deserve it. That's the question. Yeah. The question is, is people think, well, people are still naturally kind of good, aren't they? Don't they have some good in them? No, no, no. That's the problem. And so when we see the nature of God in this, of how great and how good He is in that, that He would even allow people to be in His presence, and then He takes pleasure in us being in glory with Him. And then He shares His whole creation with us. That's amazing. Why would God do that? Yeah. You know, you talk about this few verses here in Genesis being cursed. Uh, there's another way to look at it that I think is really more accurate. It's not a, because when He said you eat of it, you shall surely die. Now, it's a little question about what he meant by that, physically, spiritually, or relationship to God and broken. But you didn't die physically. 
He really gave mercy and grace to them by providing food and a place to live. And, you know, they, they didn't die immediately. They were still alive, and by His mercy and by His grace, He continued to provide for them until the Redeemer came. Exactly. Um, I think we were even touching on that um, last week and week before. That's the exact. That's the whole thing. It, and and we took a whole week talking about the greatness of God, the goodness, the graciousness of God on that. That's you're absolutely right. That's the whole point of the whole thing. It's about God here. You know. Uh, more than man. It seems like man is the central focus, but this is all about God. Look at the goodness of God here. That's right. Very much so. Before the fall, God was, God had given them such a lush paradise. I mean, He gave absolute perfection to them. Everything grew perfectly. Uh, there was pleasure. There was nourishment there for them. They they just, uh, they, they loved it. Um... When sin came, you started getting decay. You started getting disease, contamination, disorder, and death. Death that will happen to man. It'll be 900 years, or till you know Adam goes 900 plus. Um, there definitely was something that happened there with his relationship with God. That that relationship was, in a sense, uh, a, a death. There, that 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 hurt, but God still has a better plan. Um, the original Eden, though, fell into a chaos, and when you have all this death and disease and everything malfunctioning and uh, disorder, uh, and then uh, death at some time, and animals are going to die, and uh, of course plants will die. Then and they'll they'll start seeing that experience happen. This had to be a painful. Reminder, as they had experienced as good as places man has ever known, and we we looked at something that's even better in that we will have a glorified body one day, and we'll be able to see the beautiful perfection that God has in uh, in that recreation that He'll have. Um, the woman's place, truly, biblically, is in the home. And we we see that in the New Testament. Man's place is to work and to uh, provide for the family. So, the curse on man, in, in the sense, 17 to 19, is where man lives out his life. Lives it out, lives in the workplace a lot. The battle for bread now is going to consume his life. The battle for food, if we may say. Not just bread. Food, maybe even all the elements that go along with that, everything that they need for provisions. He's going to have to work this out. It's not going to be easy. He's going to struggle. He's going to have to work hard. It's it's not just going to be go up to the tree and just pick the piece of fruit. And even when he did, would if he would be in the garden, it would be a work, but it wouldn't be uh, such a work that he toils and the back kind of hurts. You know what I mean? <laughs> Lifting those things after working all day. You get a little tired, you know? But that's not what God originally had in mind. He didn't mean for man to toil and and, and by the sweat of his brow, he gave him a job and it was a beautiful thing to do. You know, tending the garden and, and in that way. 
But the now we see the, the seriousness of sin. It's, it's heinous, isn't it? Look what it's done. It's affected everything, every part of our lives. Even as Christians, we still are reminded of sin daily. I think of Chris there. He's having to go out there with all the things going on in your life, and then you're having to put up fences because cattle won't stay in the field. You know? Now, I think if it was a perfect place that you wouldn't probably have fences, would you? You have to deal with that, battle and struggle with it, and then all the worries that go with it, and then the time-wise you have to deal with. I mean, that's just one little example. You could probably go on and on with other things. But every one of us has a story that we have to deal with. Boy, it's hard. But God is good. And sometimes it's, it's actually enjoyable. You know, when we look back at it and we say, Thank you, Lord, for giving me the strength to be able to do this. A lot of times when you're out there working, you go, oh boy, this is hard. And then you start thinking, you know what? I could have a bad back and be laid up and be in bed right now and not being able to walk and get around. Thank you, Lord, for giving me the health that you have. Now we have a different attitude, you know. But God never intended, well, I won't necessarily say that, but (laughs) I'll say this. From the original outset, we see what God had had for uh, people. Uh, What a a deal. What a battle. When I clean my house... There you go. See? There you go. It's what's either this is half empty or it's half full, right? <laughs> That's philosophy. How can we use that scripturally here? <laughs> well, just what we're looking at, right? The New Testament. It reverses the curse. Um, most of the world today, throughout all of human history, life was a battle for bread. You basically had clothes on your back had a little bit of food, maybe from day to day. You didn't have it stockpiled, didn't have it in, in the, the, the closets, and didn't have it in the shelves and the pantries and everything. Hey, they worked hard to get the food for that one day. Now we're getting it into a little bit more serious reality. We have it so we, we have refrigerators. You know, look at the modern technology we have. We, we, don't, we don't know. In the 14th century, the death rate was so close to the birth rate that population grew at about 0.17% per year. That many died. It uh, only doubled every 425 years. Uh, Life expectancy was 30 years or so. The British Queen Anne, from 1665 to 1714, let's see, 35 and 14... Right, 49 years old. That's how long she lived. She's uh, probably had life as good as anybody in the world. We're talking about Queen Anne of England. The Queen of England. You'd be interested to know that she was pregnant 18 times. Okay, that's part of the curse. Here's part of the curse. Before modern times, there were no ways to prevent pregnancy other than abstinence. That's probably the way it probably should be. Women were uh, pregnant a lot. That was part of the curse. Part of the suffering, I will multiply. Remember, we talked about that last week. Uh, part of the suffering, you'd be interested to know, um, she had 18 pregnancies. In five cases, the children survived birth. Five out of 18, none of them survived childhood. All 18 died before they could reach adulthood. That was the queen. She had it as good as anybody in the world. 
I mean, as far as having things at her side and the best food, uh, people were starving to death. Millions and millions and millions of people still living out that kind of sad scenario. They eke out their existence hoping they will have enough food to eat the next meal. Maybe, maybe not. Wow. Uh, So, we have air conditioners today and we have fans, electricity, power and lights and telephones, radio, TV, refrigerators, stoves. Look at all the power we have. Oh, not to mention all the technology in our uh, computer world. Cars and trucks and buses and planes. Farm construction equipment that is just huge pieces of equipment. We have plastic and nylon. All these things have been... uh, 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 invented in our lifetime or just before us just in this one century before that people live basically the same way bingo why aren't we why aren't we we have it made right no those things don't please people they're still looking for something else aren't they Elden what are they looking for (laughs) they're looking for what is the completion and the reverse of the curse. And they don't know there's been a curse. They don't know about the sin. I think it's hard for us to identify with those people of the past. And uh, they're human people just like us. I think we're the most spoiled generation that's ever lived in the history of mankind with all that we have. All of human labor, I think, is involved here just you know, dealing with the bread. It's talking about the workplace. Um, man, you're, you're going to have to toil. It's going to be hard. You, you know, and, and yet we toil hard, and yet, look, we have a lot to show for it. I mean, look at all of what we have. We, we forget about it. You know, in Ecclesiastes, you read there, has a lot of bad news, doesn't it? It just goes, it's like, you know, uh, things just keep going on and on and on, and people live... They work hard and then they die and they turn over whatever they earn in their lives and they turn it over to somebody else. They can't even take it with them. You know? And it's just endless. And uh, it just, you, know, you go back, look, you work one day, you go to sleep, then you wake up, you go to work again the next day. And then you go to sleep and then you go to work the next day. And you do that five, six days a week. You just keep doing that over and over and you find so when does this end? And I want to tell you something. It gets harder, I think, as you get older. I thought that you finally get to a retirement age and you get to take it easy. And I got a feeling, Eldon, you probably do more work and running that you ever did before you ever and I can't I can't even use the word retire because you're not retired. You're still working. You do it in a different way, but you know, I see you guys. You guys, I think, are busier than I am. You don't get paid for it. Did that ever happen? <laughs> That's what Carolyn and I always thought. I don't think I don't see that happening anymore. I don't see that. I don't. Yeah, go down to Florida, you know, and we play some shuffleboard. God wouldn't let us do that, though. God has. He still has ministry in mind for you, uh, for you guys, doesn't he? Still does. <laughs> but you know what? 
when you have the hindsight and then you look at all of this from a Christian angle, it really makes sense. But when Solomon, you know, whenever he was writing, all in, all is what? In vain. Right? It's all vain. It's useless. It's, it's worthless. It's empty. Over and over and over. When does this stop? If you don't have Christ, it has to be that way. You know, they look forward to the time that they can get their, what, their retirement ring or a watch. It used to be a watch. <laughs> People ask me, they said, oh, you're going to be retiring now? I said, yeah, I'm going to be getting my watch on uh, Tuesday. I'm going to go down there and get my, one of these little plastic ones when it runs out. <laughs> I'm so overloaded with money, my, my money just <laughs> falls out of my pocket. What a perfect slide. No. Thorns and thistles, they're going to grow. You're going to eat the plants of the field. I'm going to bless you. But I, I do want to tell you, I'm going to make it hard for you. That's what God said. Thorns and thistles, they weren't there before. They weren't there before the fall. And the consequence is death. You're going to do that until you return to the ground. Wow. By the sweat of your face, you'll eat bread till you return to the ground. You're going to keep working, working hard. You're going to real, and and when you get up to the real old age, when you get into the 80s and 90s, and your mind is gone, and you have dementia, and and you have all that other stuff, and and you don't even, you can't even walk. You can't even use the bathroom by yourself. Uh, that's part of the deal, folks. Here's what you have. This is reality. When you're in your 20s, you don't think about that kind of stuff. When you're in your 30s, you don't think about that kind of stuff. When you're 40s, you go, oh, what's this? But you don't think about what's going to happen. And all of a sudden, you see the reality when you start getting into your 50s and 60s and then 70s and then you start taking care of people that are in their 80s and 90s. And you go, is this where I'm going? Is this my destiny here? Could be. Okay. <laughs> I'm bringing great news. Daniel's sitting up here, and he says, this is enough for me. This is the last time I'm coming back to Bible study. This is bad news. Well, we got to close because it's after 8 o'clock. Uh, the thing is, that's the way it is for everybody. You want to be trapped in Ecclesiastes? Well, that's a fatalistic approach. Um, there is hope. So we have to hit on the grace matter before we get out of here. I'm not going to leave us hanging here. This is bad news. Two weeks in a row. And you guys kept coming back for more. It's like Romans 3 altogether again. Uh, and we don't have enough time to cover it all. But this, all of a sudden, you look in First Timothy, all of a sudden the domain of the woman, the home can be transformed. We see how God has... Uh, kind of reverse the curse as Christ is now in our life. And here's how the woman can do this. She has a new approach to raising the children. She has the opportunity now to uh, to bring the gospel to them and raise them upright. Uh, the curse on the woman dramatically changes when you have Jesus Christ. And the relationship with those children, even though it's going to be a little hard, hey, I have the answer. It's Christ and I know what Genesis 3 says, but listen, here's what Christ can do and here's what the grace of God does. And here's a brand new perspective. For men, here's what it is for work. It's a great opportunity to serve God. What a great mission field at work. You know, you can, if nothing else, you can go there and rejoice in the fact you have a job and you actually make money from it. And uh, actually you can become a witness and the doctrine of God resides in you 
and uh, He is your Savior. Your work now is a launch point uh, for witness just by your lifestyle, maybe even get to share it. Uh, it becomes a whole sphere of um, how you can relate to people. And it's a worship. When you, go to, when you go to work tomorrow, I want you to remember this. You are at a place of worship. Whether you be washing dishes, or whether you be uh, sitting alongside somebody and uh, their desk, and uh, you're working there, or you got somebody hassling you, you're still worshiping God. And uh, you got an opportunity to bring forth that there's something more to this vanity, vanity. We have the Gospel. Does that change the whole thing? We have good news. The, the, how we relate to each other in, in the church. Ephesians 5. Ephesians 5 answers. How you relate to them in the church. How the husband relates to the wife. The wife relating to the husband. How you relate to it at the workplaces in Ephesians 5. Work, home, church. All of that. And you can have great relationships. And this is this is proof right here. Man, there isn't anything better than meeting with God's people and talking about His Word. Isn't there? I mean, can you think of anything better? If, if there is, then um, I don't know. I don't know what it is. I, I, I missed the boat. I didn't. Uh, hey, go plow the field. Whatever that field is, you know, we're talking about you know the the food here, thorns and thistles and such. Uh, whatever that field is for you, you do that work and you do it as unto the Lord Himself. Your job is for the Lord and for His glory. And if you realize who you're really working for, all of a sudden that whole idea, your whole life. When you are in the family, you're at home. Hey, listen, that's the that's a wonderful place to be. Because God has put you there, and now you get you get the uh, the topsy turvy side rather than dominating over the the women and the women trying to dominate. It's the Lord Jesus Christ whom we serve. Isn't that a great thought? And we say glory to God. We ended up on a good note as we end up on a note here at Alpha and Omega. Uh, I want to say thank you for being a part of this. We will continue to turn the page. Um, and most of you know that um, uh, Barb uh, took it to the the board of, of E-Free Church. And uh, I, I still, I, I guess that's still on, that, that we can meet there until the Lord has us do something else. But they're uh, offering a room for us to meet. And uh, that's that's mighty nice. Uh, I actually had another church that found out. Oh, listen, where's your Bible study going to be? And I said, well, uh, I told them, and uh, they said, well, you can meet at ours if you ever need to meet there too. And so there, people are offering just a place to meet. <laughs> yeah, we're, we won't make it a hardship on them. But anyway, we'll do our best to keep it clean and uh, make it as good. Yeah, Eldon. Come in the side door just off of the parking lot. Okay. And down the steps. Where's, and is there only one side? There's only one side that's got a door. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I guess that's easy. It's the east side. The east side. And then you either go up or down. And that's down, right? Down. Thank you. Okay, did you guys hear that? Okay. And that's at 7 o'clock. 7 to 8 o'clock. 
so I'm thankful that we could, we get to continue that. Uh, uh, we could have taken it out to our house, but I don't think that that would work anymore. I think we've uh, we've gone past that. So we, we actually have it till nine o'clock. If we have a well, don't don't uh, don't uh, don't tempt him. Don't tempt him. <laughs> Listen, guys. Thank you very much.